are listening to the Fuerte Network. Alright, bienvenido. Welcome to We Are Home Arizona, an immigration podcast. Uh, my name is Carlos Yanez Navarro, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Dani Orona. Dani, how are you? Carlos, I'm doing really good. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for everyone who has tuned in for the last few episodes. Now that we are back, now that we are rolling out some new content and important content, getting our stories out there for immigrants and by immigrants. Yeah, I'm super excited for this week's episode. We're talking about mental health, mental health coping mechanisms and You know, ever since the Build Back Better bill did not pass, and as we've seen immigration get kind of, you know, put to the sidelines, we think mental health is much more important as, uh, you know, I mean, I'm stressed out, maybe people listening are stressed out, and, you know, people who are undocumented could also be facing different mental health symptoms, so uh, we thought it was an important topic to talk about. Definitely. And it's one that we that we've been planning for a while. And we just definitely want to make sure that we had this right, that we had it done right with the right accompaniment and with the right expert. And with that, I'd like to introduce our special guest for today, Alex Flores. Thank you so much, Alex, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us and uh, talk about this hugely, hugely important topic. Yeah, thank you for inviting me again. Definitely uh, looking forward to sharing my my experience and my stories in the field of mental health, behavioral health and with the Latino population. Then looking forward to share that. Well, I think first of all, we'd all like to know how you got started in in being and and, uh, and I'm sorry, you are a counselor, correct? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the the official would be yeah, I'm a counselor. I am a licensed master social worker. So a uh, graduate of ASU, Go Sun Devils. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, definitely been in the practice, been more than fr- more than 15 years counseling, and then 20 years working with families, uh, adolescents, and, and and adults in the social service field. Has it always been in that field or did you start off working with like maybe some other type of social work? Uh, it's always been in that field, but actually it started in education. So I worked a lot with, um, back in my days in California, I went to UC Davis up in Sacramento area. I worked with a lot of migrant workers in education. So, you know, tutoring students in math and sciences and our Latinos, especially around engineering. I was never an engineer, but uh, taught them the math part that I know of. Okay. Is that what got you into into mental health and being a counselor? Uh, definitely a lot of it. I would say like a lot of us when we were younger, I think my mom you know, encouraged me to, you know, be a doctor. So I always say that quiero ser doctor, you know, so I, I watched all the ERs and stuff, you know, shows back in the days. But at the end, I always say that me and chemistry never got along. So I never finished that med school route. <laughs> oh, I feel that. And, and so, and so definitely, but I, I was fortunate enough where I got, you know, was involved with helping, you know, incoming freshmen when I was in a, you know, a senior classman and helping them with the, dealing with, you know, navigating through school and classes because I would, mm-hmm. I would, I remember with a freshman coming from out of state, first time leaving their home, that was a big thing. So definitely, I was learned. I was trained by social workers, mm-hmm. by psychiatrists. So it's kind of like that aspect of just you know, mm-hmm. talking to people and listening to them. Right, that's a yeah. big thing. Listening. I think I got a different definition of what I thought a counselor was when I got into high school because that was definitely one of the first times that I had heard that word, a counselor. And from watching TV and movies, I thought, you know, it was more along lines of exactly that. You, someone you talk to, some sort of therapist, some sort of something like that, that you can like talk to and uh, about your day, about your problems. But in high school, when I got there and we got assigned to our counselors, pretty much the counselor, quote unquote, would be the person to just pick your classes out. And you would go in to talk about your grades, where you're going to go to this year, what you need to graduate here, your classes. Okay, on to your merry way. Yeah, I know. I would say it's evolved a lot more than back in our days. Definitely, I think counselors are more attuned. School counselors are more attuned about definitely your career, but where do you want to go? Especially during these past couple of years, I think they're more attuned of like your needs, mm-hmm. especially if they, they notice like 
things of like depression, you know, abuse. They know they they're trained to those those things and also refer out, right? So like, you know, for me, me as a professional, no matter where I go, at least in the working field, I'm a mandated reporter, right? And I guess if I notice somebody getting abused, whether it be adults or children, I don't, you know, older older adults, I I, re- I report it, right? Mm-hmm. When in the field, out of the field is a little different, but yeah. One development I've seen with schools is that now they have like a certified like mental health counselor aside from like the academic counselor. So I think that's that's a recent thing, right? Like even when I was growing up, like I don't think we had that. Yeah, I, I think they're more, I think they're expanding more on services. I think I, I can tell you this, when I moved out of Arizona here in 08, I noticed some school districts had the counselors, but then school districts had social workers. Well, the, oh, okay. the social workers will go across the, the district to address any issues, train teachers, train counselors about things or services out there in the community, right? Because the counselor, you know, the school counselor may see 400 kids in the school, in the school, right? But they yeah. don't, they don't know everybody. So like when they address any issues, they'll make sure they refer out or make sure they're educated to refer where they, where they refer out. Yeah. Cause that was me in my, my high school, we had about 3000 kids. And of course, I think it was like six counselors to see all of them. And the we wasn't that social worker, and, and it, it's funny how you say that you came out here in 08. I graduated in 09, and that's when I, I think it just like as I left, and some of my friends that were still there got to see kind of the wheels turning towards that, you know, that that uh, to get better help for the, for those kids that are there. And part of me is all like, man, like I wish I had that when I was there. Like it really yeah. would have helped me a lot. The other part is all like, you know what? I'm glad that at least it's happening now that these kids are going to to get the help that they need. Some of them, when they do grow up, graduate, go to college, they have those natural resources uh, to guide them through their college life and and advise them to see counseling and everything. But some of the population does not. And that's the population I want to focus on today. The undocumented students that are going through high school that have never seen a counselor, never heard of a counselor and don't have that kind of guidance. Alex, from your experience, what have you seen from like these first time students going through social work for the first time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's scary because sometimes also, you know, when they when they when they ask you, you need to go see a counselor they think they're in trouble at times, right? Or they think they're in trouble or if they share something that might get themselves in trouble mm-hmm. um, or just, again, you know, they don't know how to talk about the emotions. I think in general, like, you know, when we're little kids, we never talk about our emotions, right? Or we're just, I'm mad, I'm sad, but mm-hmm. emotions or feelings are more complicated than the older we get. And so like, you know, as a teenager, sometimes it's hard to express some of those emotions, right? And so sometimes when you're a teenager, you know, you, you express your emotions through your actions, your behaviors, right? Either you're acting out, you, you know, you're st- you know st- standoffish, you're alone, or you're, you're that loner kid in the corner no one talks to, right? But because no, no one tells them what they're feeling, they don't know how they feel. I think that really goes into like I think we come from really, I don't want to say closed off cultures, but I think mental health has always been like, especially like in in my family, we're from Mexico, yeah. no one really talks about like mental health, like feelings aren't always really talked about. So how do you see like cultural background go into being able to ask for help and being able to? seek services yeah that that's that's always i think that's always been a small a hurdle i don't say i never want to say it's a big hurdle but it's a hurdle because the stigma behind it right mm-hmm. oh you know show, like you know showing my feelings or talking about my problems about my family problems is a stigma or is a, a thing of shame or una vergüenza no porque once you know porque once mis historias mis chismes mi familia so it's hard i think i would say culturally i was like in regards to gender i think women are more prone to do counseling and they're you know, they're more open when they feel safe uh us men i would admit to it myself at times we can be very hesitant to ask for help 
I mean, the biggest thing is like being vulnerable of saying, hey, I need help mm-hmm. across the board. It doesn't matter who you are, right? I think sometimes we're afraid of asking for help, especially outside of our family. And then if we do it within our family, it could, it's, a, it's a sense of shame at times. Yeah, we were actually talking about it before we before we got on this recording is that uh, not only do you have that expectation that you need to be strong and everything. It's like though those words that get instilled to us as since we're little boys. Hey, you got to be a man. Say hombre. Los hombres no lloran. Los hombres van y trabajan. And and from there it's all like it, it puts up a wall that then our friends and our friends and families counselors later on spend years having to dig us out of there yeah. because we've just built up all these barriers to our own emotions. Yeah. And, and yeah, that, that definitely that's part of it. I think, I think as me as a counselor, you know, it, my big, my, my biggest thing is like, you know, I, I'm, it's just how to approach the person, just be, be normal, be yourself. You know, I never, I try not to come up like, Oh, so you're professional. I'm the professional. I'm, I'm the authority. You know, I'm just here to listen to you. You know, and I know like sometimes, you know, in my, in my, in my past experience, they would ask me, I'm like, I'm not here to tell you what to do. Like, I'm going to give you options. You try them, you know yourself. Right. And I think that's what, as a consejero, you know, sometimes the families will tell me, um, tell me what to do. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm gonna give you options. And you tell me what best works for you. Cause you know, I'm never going to tell someone what to do, but I'm going to give you options. And especially based on what you're telling me, I'm like, maybe try this first. Right. So that there's different, I would say you kind of sign homework sometimes when you see, when you, as a, you know, as a, as a therapist, you sign homeworks or, or techniques, but you never tell them, Hey, do this, you know? So it varies. Now for us, uh, which mental health challenges do the undocumented community face? That's a big, that's a loaded question sometimes. <laughs> um, I, I would say first, obviously, uh, access to services, right? Do I have Medicaid? Do I have insurance? Right. Sometimes they're like, Oh, you need insurance. Um, I would say the beautiful thing about at least Arizona and I, I will say some, some states, there are services out there. It's just that they don't announce them. Hey, it's free of cost or Hey, we have a grant that offers services for uninsured, underinsured. And so I think there, the thing is um, those providers are out there making sure they get the word out or, or myself. If I, to an extent, if I hear something free, I may, I make sure I share it with my community or my leaders that I know. Hey, I heard there's, there's a agency doing, free counseling services for those who are dealing with drug drug use, right? Mm-hmm. Or gr- drug groups or traumas. You know, there, there's grants out there that'll say, hey, if you have, if, if you're dealing with this issue, we offer grants, right? You you mentioned like in the school systems, right? There There's there's what's called a mental health block grant in the state of Arizona that if you're high school, right? 18 and under, if you're dealing with some kind of certain diagnosis, whether it be anxiety, depression, there's block grants that, will help you free of cost. You don't have to pay. And usually you go to the clinic. Sometimes they'll come to your home. Obviously COVID's happening right now. It's a little limited. Mm-hmm. But my experience, they'll come to your home, help the family, work with the family, right? And so there, there's, out, the services are out there. It's just getting the word out. Now, with that, you did mention with their diagnosis, what if they don't have a diagnosis from a doctor? They think they're depressed or they think they have anxiety. Yeah. Uh, I mean, definitely you can say that. I, I think, I, I, you know, I would say sometimes our, our, our community uses uses those mental health diagnosis words very openly. Oh, it is, it is bipolar. Yeah. yeah tienes so, ansiedad o, o tienes yeah. el ADHD. Es el que está bien activo. Mm-hmm. I think we use it loosely because it's been, you know, mental health has been more open about it. But also, like, if you really want to know or, like, you know, you, you see a professional, right? Doctors, you know, you can talk to a, your primary care doctor and say, like, you know what? The most likely they'll do is help you and give you maybe medications to a, a deal with the symptoms of depression. But really, when you want to talk about depression, you have to go see a counselor. Whether you're going to be a counselor, a psychologist, psychiatrist, you know, it varies. But, you know, we, 
when when you go see a therapist, they're gonna initially do an assessment, right? It's pretty much a you know, it could, I'll give you a, a quick experience. If I'm gonna go to see a therapist, he or she's gonna meet me for the first time and ask me a series of questions, whether like my drug use, history of any traumas, you know, where I grew up, my professional, like any, any you know, general questions that you may you may seem some of them might be personal, but it's just an idea to get a sense of where you're at, what are you looking for, right? Because mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, when you go see a counselor, you're not there to open your all your history, but like what is it you want to work on, right? And so it just it depends, right? I mean, you know, in, in the times of you know our current situation, all right, police brutality. Let's say if I got assaulted by the police, I'm gonna talk about that trauma, not mm-hmm. about my childhood stuff, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's more about immediate stuff, right? And so it varies. So like you don't have when you see a counselor, you don't have to share your whole story, but what is that's going on that's affecting you right now sometimes. And you said that um a little earlier that a lot of counselors will work with the whole family. Yeah. Is that like a structural, like like a technique, or is, is that like widespread? It depends. It, de- it depends. Like you know, for as as an adult, usually it's just your individual, right, by yourself. But let's say we're working with a, te- a teenager. Usually, a counselor will meet, work with the teenager first, get to know them. But also, when things when things start developing about like, you know, why why this kid why this person acts the way he acts or is feeling the way he acts, then as a, as a therapist, I would go talk to more of the family, right, the mom, the dad, mm-hmm. sometimes the siblings, because you know you want to see what goes in the home. You know, working with, you know, my, my experience working with children and adolescents, if you see what's going on at home, you have a better idea of what's going on sometimes, you know? And mm-hmm. so that, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that because that'll, that'll open up a whole can of worms as right. well. But I, I usually I would say this, you know, me as a therapist, I'm going to, I'll be, I'll be at the house and see the family, talk to them individually as a group. But again, I'm not there to tell them what to do, but the moment I see that the way they act with each other, you know, their dynamics, then you see, ah, and I get why so-and-so is acting this way or why, you know, because we're triggered by things, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, it varies. And so that's always the first start, especially when we're working with children and adolescents. See the family, see what's coming from, you know, so because it can be a lot. When you are working with an adolescent and you see that they you're helping them out and part of it is that family, do you ever get that, you know, that mom or dad who have done things the same way for 40, 50, 60 years, and they don't believe that this is a mental health issue. They think that no más está comportando mal porque no hace caso, porque es rebelde, porque that it's a phase, like that don't want to accept that this can be treated and can be helped. Oh, no, yeah. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I've gotten that in the past a lot, especially from the, the dads, right? Oh, he's going to grow out of it. It's something. But sometimes um, it's about as a therapist when you're at the home. I'm, again, I'm never going to change their culture or their norms, right? It's about like just having to understand where their kids coming from, you know, mm-hmm. like, and also getting a buy-in from the parents. Sometimes not all parents are on the same page about, oh, my kid needs counseling. One may be like, I don't think my kid needs counseling. It may be in denial, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, usually it just, it just depends of one educating the the, fam- the parent, right? And just and being truthful. I never, uh, I would say getting to, that's why when you, when you, as the family dynamics, you want to get to know everybody and then understand where they're coming from. Because then you go, okay, now I get it. But like, it's the way we talk to each other too. That's a big thing. And of course, part of it is, I'm, I'm what, I, what I would think is one of the hardest things is getting someone to admit, you know what? This might have been something that I caused. Because especially older generations are like, no, I'm, I'm not going to accept any fault to, to any of this. Recent example, of course, uh, everyone's seen the movie Encanto. Where it's all like you, everyone hating on the grandma. And then at the end, they say, oh, the grandma went through some trauma. All right. Well, does that make it okay for the grandma to act this way towards everybody? Take it out on them. And it's part a whole debate online. And you know, the, you know how the internet gets. But 
what is it like for for those older, especially immigrants, to try to accept that? Hey, maybe I wasn't in the right. Yeah, I mean that that's again that's almost like a I don't want to open Pandora's box to an extent, but it could yeah it's some I don't want to say it's blame, but it's always the what's the term I'm looking for somebody that can be the generational trauma, and it's 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 you know but it, that's because it's what we what our families kind of grew up on right, and so like it depends you know you, you know that's what we we do this way that we do this because X Y and Z right, and that's it it's because it's, it's our family way, and so it varies, and so it can, there's some generational trauma there, but. Also, like, you know, it's about being that the voice to speak out. Right. It, I forgot the character's name that the daughter, she spoke out. Right. And then she addresses oh, yeah, issues. Right. Uh, Maribel. Maribel, yeah. Right. But it's 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 a, the moment someone's willing to speak out and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Right. And going, going back to the help. Right. That I think if you think about it like that, she's the first one to ask for help. We're noticing hey, we need help. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I think it's always having that one voice. And then, it get, you know, I'll call it the snowball effect. The moment good or bad. Right. The moment you, you do something and it gets bigger and bigger, then there's more things. There's a bigger outcome. One of the biggest questions that I have here to, uh, especially for our community is if you're helping an undocumented youth or undocumented person in general, do you as a therapist that have to disclose, obviously if people get hurt, do you have to disclose anything about their status? No, never. That's, that's, I would say kind of like a doctor. We don't disclose any of their records, right? It's it's, it's HIPAA, HIPAA violate, you know, HIPAA violation, confidential records. So those are medical records. At least in my experience, we always treat those as medical records. Always been medical records. So, so you know, behavioral health, health, it's all one record. So you you don't disclose that. All right. So we can we can say to all of our listeners here: if you need help, if you see a therapist, see a counselor, you will be safe talking to yeah. them, and there is no fear of them uh, turning you into immigration, to ICE, to anybody. There, there is no fear of of that. I would say the only time it could happen, again, this is just, it's all situational. Is like, let's say for myself, if I notice a parent history of abuse to the kid, again, if I'm, I'll report it to DCS. Mm. If it's extreme, the authorities get involved, but then that's out of my hands, right? Yeah, but but, but at that point, you're you're reporting the abuse, the abuse, not the, yeah, not, and then if it not comes the status, up, yeah, no, no, but that'll come out later. Later, but yeah, you're, you're only reporting yeah, the abuse, the abuse, yeah. But yeah, that, that's out of my hands. But like I said, situation like that, but. Yes, I am never going to disclose that information. Yeah. And I mean, just for anyone out there that's listening, um, if you are undocumented, if you are someone that needs help, what would be the steps to take to be able to seek out that help? Well, one, I mean, ask for help. Whether you know, ask, ask your friend, like, hey, I need help. I'm going through this. Your friend might know some information or like, hey, I know a therapist or I know this agency. And, and I will tell you this, in, in Arizona, there are many agencies that are willing to help our community. They, you know, either either free free of cost, low low scale fee, or again, there's grants out there. Whether it be here in Maricopa, and Pima, Yuma County, there are agencies out there that are willing to help that. And I, I would say I would do one plug in. I, I you know I don't have all the numbers. There's a number called two one one, right? Have you heard of that one? No, not so two one one is it's pretty much four one one, but for social services. Oh really? Where they'll, wow. they'll, they'll direct they'll direct you to like an agency across the state, whether it be counseling, health, a food pantry. Sometimes housing. Don't quote me on it too much, but again, that that number is free of cost. I have no idea. We'll direct you. So it's two one one. It's run by the state, but it's free of cost. You don't have to have insurance. They won't ask you for you know papers. And especially during COVID, through like federal funding, they increased that funding two one one. But also they were offering crisis counseling free of cost. Like especially okay. during COVID, we were all scared, right? Yeah. Like I'm gonna die. Like I lost my job. And people became a crisis, so there, there was out there, and services are a lot there going on. So yes, for for those that cannot 
get immediate help because especially during COVID, there has been such an upsurge in people seeking help, counseling, and therapy that there have been people that are like be put on a waiting list for three months before a counselor can see them. Um, I, I, I would say my biggest pet peeve, there should never be a wait list. There should never be a wait list. And if you hear there's a wait list, call the office, ask to speak to a manager or supervisor because there should never be a wait list. I will tell you this, the latest that can see you at least for the first initial appointment, no more than 10 days. Really? Oh. No more. If I call right now an agency that you know that I worked very well with, they, they should usually give me an appointment within seven days or no more than 10 days. Wow. Because, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard of like when, when we were, when I was doing research for this and talking to different people, there was some that like, no, there's just no, ther- all the therapists are super busy. They yeah, can't schedule for like a month, two months. And that's why the, the biggest one I did see was three months to see this this particular uh, therapist and uh, wow, so this is this yeah. is news to me. Yeah, and I, and yeah, and I would I would tell you in my world and we're also the like the like the nonprofits that do counseling. You know, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna throw our names out there, right? Like, right, like the Via del Sol, the Jewish families, Brazilian Health, Southwest Network, South Behavioral, like all these big ones. They should not have they, those. Don't have waiting lists. They should not have waiting lists. Mm. Um, okay. They will say they'll see you within no more than ten days. If it's urgent, like we're like, hey, my kid just got out of the hospital because he tried to kill himself, right? They will see you within three days. They should be seeing you. They'll make time for you. They'll make time, especially those crisis situations. Uh, But they should not, especially even after your first appointment, which you call the intake, like the questions are asking you. Yeah. After that, technically, they should see you with no more than no more than later than almost twenty three days out, right? Okay. And I and I get it. You know, COVID happened across the the country, right? People have not worked at all, so there's an employment issue, right, as well. But there's always ways to get around it. I would say. Because of COVID, like a lot of people weren't able to see people in person, right? Mm-hmm. But then thank God for technology, right? Through through Teams, Zoom, you do counseling over over Zoom. over over the you know technology. And obviously, I know my abuelita doesn't know how to use Zoom, <laughs> but you know people will teach you how to do it, right? Rent prices are out of control all over the state. And of course, it's our communities that are affected the most. So Fuerte is hosting an event to show that we won't be taking this silently. Fuerte is hosting an outdoor hands-on activity to bring awareness on the whys, hows, and whens of the recent increase in high rent prices. Join us on April 9th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Maryville Park and build your own house. Hear Representative Solario speak on high rent and learn about the next steps to take in your community. Again, that's April 9th at Maryville Park in Phoenix from 10 a.m. to noon. Bring family, friends, and of course, anyone else who agrees that the rent is too damn high. During that waiting period, though, what are some healthy coping mechanisms that people can use while they wait to see a counselor? I mean, I I think the moment they recognize they need help, is to talk to a friend, someone they can trust, at least saying, like, this is what I've been going through, right? I think you don't have to share the whole experience, but say, like, this is what I've been going through, this is what I've been feeling. I think that would be the first step. Obviously, we talked about earlier, like, sometimes you might not be comfortable sharing it with your family. Again, yeah. your friend, um, you know, for those who are, you know, religious or spiritual, someone that you you, you trust, right? Uh, sometimes it could be your local priest, your reverend, your pastor, you know, the hermana, the hermano, that, you know, in that church community. So it, it just depends. It varies. There's... I mean, there's communities out there. Like, I would see me as a therapist. I always tell people, I'm not going to provide therapy forever, right? And I go, the moment I, I'm in your life forever, you're going to have to buy me lunch every day. You know, but <laughs> I, 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 I kid aside, but I tell them, you know, counseling is not forever. It's, it's for me to help you establish, you know, 
stabilize you, help you with the tools or how to, how to navigate through whatever you're going through. And then like, you know, use your family, use your friends. Um, there's sources out there, right? Counselors are not the ultimate answer. We, we will say we're the first line in a sense to help you cope with your, you know, cope with what's going on. But also like, hey, talk next time. Who, who do you trust in your family, right? Or, mm. oh, you know what? I, you know, it's been a while since I talked to my wife about this stuff. Maybe, okay, you should be talking to your wife or, you know, your sister, your siblings, um, even, you know, adolescents. Who do you trust? Oh, you know, my my uncle, my my tío, my nino, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, someone you trust, you share those experiences after the fact. I know I've, I've had friends who've gone to counseling and they always say that it's very hard to find someone who's, I guess, culturally competent or who speaks their native language. Is yeah. there like a way to find counselors that speak your native language or who kind of have your same cultural background? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah. I mean, no, there, there is. Uh, I would say first things first, like when you do those those intakes, like I mentioned earlier, the first initial appointment, they're going to ask something. The question that she asks you is something that's like, is there a preference, right? In my experience, they're like, I would I would do a bunch of intakes in my, in my, when I started as a counselor. And I would see, you know, older persons, younger women, you know, men. And sometimes I would, I would interview a woman and, you know, do, do, do the intake, the initial visit. And then I ask them, you know, who, who do you prefer somebody? And they're like, oh, well, I prefer a woman, older woman, Spanish speaking. And sometimes, you know, because the way I spoke with them, they're like, oh, you're, you're okay. I like you. Let's, let's do you. I'm like, oh, let's, you know, I want you, I want you to be my counselor. I'm like, fine. Perfect. You let's know? Go. And so it's just the way, it, and it, each, each counselor is different, but yeah, you, you have the right to express like, hey, I want this kind of, do you, do you offer somebody who is a female, uh, male, you know, Spanish speaking? Do you know a counselor who's, who, who works well with the LGBT community? Latino LGBT community, like, or oh, do you know who's more yeah, specific? You know, specific, and then I know you, I, I definitely could be very specific. Again, we don't, we, they might not have everything, but they might not have something that might might do you know able to help you with that. Mm. No, or awesome. maybe like they are not LGBTQ, but they've helped several people yeah. that do. Mm-hmm. So like he has a good rapport with the subject. Yeah, with the subject, or you know, again, or like, hey, I know I have a history of trauma. You know, I was in a war torn country. Oh, you know what? I'm experienced working with people with traumas or things like that. So yeah, each therapist, each counselor and agency has their own kind of specialty or just knows a little bit of everything. Uh, what do you think, Alex, of the the ghetto counselors, counseling that we do in the barrio? It's so like, all right, let's get a bunch of beer and cry it out. I would say it helps that moment <laughs> to an extent. You know, you know, tragos de margo licor, right? It's with your buddies. <laughs> but I, I would say at the same time, it's it just a, it's a it's a temporary patch. So it's a band aid. It's mm-hmm. a band aid, especially I would say professionally when alcohol is involved, it's not a good idea. Not a coping mechanism. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a coping mechanism. Yes. Um, is it the best? No. Eh, no. Um, because they, as you can get things can get worse, right? Because I, mm-hmm. I would say, if, if, you know, if, if I get if I get a little clinical with this group, the more you drink, alcohol is a depressant. So the more you drink, you tend to be depressed. Mm-hmm. Anybody doesn't matter, right? And so you, we that's why we say don't bajale or cortale, you know, the drink, the kawamas, the shots, whatever you need. Um, especially because at times we do that, right? It doesn't matter. What, I would say in our community, we we tend to do that. We're like we bottle for for lack of better words our feelings with a bottle mm-hmm. you know or other vices i would say that yeah and, and that that's why i wanted to touch on it because I, I feel like especially in in our with our people it goes hand in hand like if i'm feeling bad yeah, i'm gonna go to a bar like i gotta fight with my wife yeah. go to a bar i'm you got it's fired at work now. go to a yeah. bar yeah. you know best friend we lost a soccer game go to a bar like and that is like the one thing that we do especially hispanic men he's like okay i just want to go and get a beer and forget about it like we yeah. and we say that we're going to forget about it but we don't forget about it that's the problem yeah and and, and again it's it's like we said earlier it's it's a, it's a temporary patch yeah you're gonna, you're gonna a beer make you may make you feel good or high right 
but the feelings are still there. And so like with any, with any other drug too as well, like, you know, I, you know, with any, you know, because sometimes when you're depressed or dealing with any other mental health and, and not addressed right, you are going to lead to those vices, drinking, alcohol, drugs. The next level of that's going to be worse, right? Now you're dealing with a mental health issue and a substance use disorder, mm-hmm. which we call co-occurring. What's what I'm talking Co-occurring. About? So you're dealing with two different things oh, at the same okay. time. Oh, okay. Co-occurring. Yeah. Well, that's, so, that's a new one for the vocabulary wall. Yeah. <laughs> Medical vocabulary. Yeah. So once you start noticing those those symptoms or those like habits in, in your friends or your family, how do you go about like opening those conversations? Uh, I, I would say first, definitely address it as approach of, always approach them as concern, never judgmental. Because the moment you say, oh, pues tomas tanto, blah, 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 they're going to come at you. Like, yeah, right. You get yeah. defensive. I don't have a problem. Yeah. And so I, I think definitely always come with approach of concern. You know, um, never say I told you so kind of thing, right? I always say I'm I'm kind of worried about you or like I'm, I'm noticing this, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you don't want to. The more you you, the more that vice happens, right? There will be the alcohol, the drugs. You're just digging yourself into a ditch, for lack of better words, right? Until something bad happens, then you're like, oh, I need counseling now, right? And it might be too late sometimes. And so, like, yeah, it's it's it's, it's tough, but uh, I would say, um, always come with concern. But also, again, when when you're too deep into the drugs, the first thing you have to address is really the, the drug issues. Yeah, because you, you got to be sober before you start talking about your feelings. And that was the hard part. For those that are doing uh, for drugs or even smoking, drinking, that sort of that sort of thing. Uh, when you're seeing a therapist, can they still do can they still be seeing you? How do I phrase this? Like, can you I will tell you, you can't be high when you come and see me. OK, if okay. you come drunk to my session, I will ask you to leave. Okay. Um, I would I would address the concern, and then ask you to come back the next day or another day when I'm available. Okay. So yeah, that w- that would be it because if people are still doing that, there's really no progress that can be made in that state, right? Yeah, it's no progress, and then it's a liability for me too because if I, if I if I'm seeing someone that's drunk, you know, in high, and then they leave under my watch and get an accident or something happens in there because mm-hmm. of me, it's on you. so that's on me. So like when I stop it before it happens, right? But yeah, it's, it's a concern. It's always a concern, mm-hmm. and so um, you know. I would say even like, you know, the individual came drunk or high and, and it was an adolescent, you know, there's certain rights, but then I would have to report it to the parent. Would, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, but then also experience my concern. Look, no lo regañes, no le peguen, you know, don't, but again, address the concern. Is that part of like the mandated reporting? No, that, not, not that part. Okay. I think it's, it's, I would say it's almost like a, it's, it's not because there's no abuse. It's not the dad giving the drink, but it's, you know, but it's more like you're just, just in concerns. You know. So at, at that point, it's like anyone, even if you're not a counselor, like, hey, you're an underage drinker, like, yeah, let the parents know, hey, yeah, this, yeah, this is to. going on. Yeah, yeah. so, that, I mean, that's the biggest concern. I mean, I've, I've had those experiences before, and it, it just varies. Especially, I mean, I can, I can for example, I'll give you an example. An individual one time showed up to drunk to one of my groups I, I had. He had a DUI, but he showed up to drunk to my group and I had to report him. So I reported him to this PO, you know, so he, he didn't come back for a couple of weeks. And the next week I saw him, he's like, I thought he was gonna I, I thought he was gonna kick my ass. Like for like a better word. <laughs> he was a small guy, I couldn't hold myself, but again, I'm I never I'm not allowed to swing either. But um he said, Hey, I'm sorry I showed up drunk to your group. And thank you for calling the the Puyol. Obviously you learned there's less anything right. there better. But again, you do it for the reason, right? You, mm-hmm. you don't really expect the worst, but no, this guy's like, Hey, apologize for showing up to your group. You know, so it just it varies. That's why I mean you do you do those harsh tests because not because you wanna put someone in trouble, but because you, you care about them or you want to make sure they're safe. The last thing I want to touch on is again, focusing on, on our, on our people again, is what can, what kind of steps can someone take after their primary caretaker, like their mom or dad gets deported? 
and now they're here by themselves or or like they have to fend for themselves or with a family member that they're not used to living with and now they're dealing with all of this apart from losing a, a member of their family yeah i mean one definitely it's going to be a big big life change right because it's a big part of your big part of your support network is gone right and so one you're gonna you may have a, that person may have a sense of abandonment obviously trauma because you know someone took away their family and then just adjusting to like hey i'm not gonna see my mom or dad for a while right and so that could be hard i think one hopefully whatever support systems they have are supportive but also like getting you know getting an agency involved like hey th- this kid needs counseling i mean i think nowadays um you know like wh- wh- whatever school district you're, the kid belongs to there's agencies like the names i dropped earlier they have what's called school-based services they'll come out to the school and see the kid and talk to them you know like whether once a week twice a week whatever they need at the time and just talk about them right because they're gonna they're gonna deal with this and then especially when you move you move something important for an adolescent from their family they're gonna act out that i assure you they're gonna act out if they have no support network you know where they're gonna act out in school or or again maybe drugs it's just very each each each, each situation is, is different but you're gonna see something different from that person especially when you, t- when you take away their family and do you see any lasting effects from that, like in terms of mental health? Like, do people come back for services because of that event? I think they can. I, I mean, yeah. You're, I mean, therapy is, I always say for myself and my experiences, like therapy should not be forever unless you're dealing with ongoing intense stuff. But I think I, I will tell you this, the way I approach therapy with my clients, no matter what age is, it, it should be, it should, to an extent, it should be short term. If it's because of, of a situation where you got in a fight, you, you know, you're dealing with depression, no more than six months right? And it's like once a week or every other week. But if you have ongoing stuff, like recently we mentioned the kid being, you know, the family being removed, that could be up to a year, just depends how intense it is. But no more than a year, no more than, you know, six months between that, because it just, it depends. Like if you do once a month, that's going to be a year for sure. But if you see them frequently and you allow that person to talk and share their feelings and know how to cope with those issues, then it's going to be short term. Okay. Yeah. It's just more case by case. It's case by case, but also it's, 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 you know, and also the big thing is I always tell clients, you have to be honest with yourself. The moment you see a therapist, I, I assure you, they're not going to, sh- the only time they share their, their your history with others is with, with other colleagues because they're like, hey, I have this client, kind of like a doctor. I have this case and I'm, you know, what do you recommend? Oh, I see this. I'm like, hey, try this. A consult. A consult, yeah. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, that's the only time. But like for myself, I don't, my experience, I've never shared, I never shared my history, like my cases with my wife, with my parents, my family, my friends. You know, I don't share that. Uh, but, you know, I talk about, who I serve, but I never share what what cases. That's it's kind of like again, it's private. It's my between me and my client, and so I don't share that. So like I think you know therapy is on can be ongoing or or short term. It just depends on what you're going through, right? I mean, you know, all of us here, and whether it be here professionally, we, we we may see a counselor, you know, um, because I'm dealing with the stress of like you know I can't handle my job or I'm having issues with my wife, my my child, because so usually the therapist is just a new voice, a new perspective to help you deal with those things you know and so and i think again it goes back to what we're saying almost immediately hey i need help and looking for that help and uh finally in your opinion should people seek therapy through counseling first before trying to psychiatrist and medication or like should they just go straight for a psychiatrist uh my preference first see a counselor first see a counselor before medication and and again medication to me is always something the last resort and again it depends i'm i don't i definitely don't want to almost like you know bash psychiatrists or the doctors right medication is important when they're 
technically when one, there's an imbalance in your brain sometimes, because sometimes mental health is an imbalance in your brain, right? Certain hormones, chemicals in your brain make you react and not feel or feel things. And the medication help you regulate that, right? But at times, if you're able to see a counselor first and things are getting better, you're fine. But if things are not getting better or still getting worse, then we always refer, then we'll recommend a psychiatrist. I've done in the past where like, if I notice a member hasn't changed at least you know, in the past six months, three months, I've I've noticed no changes at all. Then maybe maybe it's maybe we see a psychiatrist because the medication will help you regulate your mood, your emotions. Because naturally, I, I would say this: our our body we we create these we create these medications, the serotonins, the mm-hmm. epinephrines, you know, the endorphins that make you feel good, that make you feel better, that make the pain go away. And so sometimes your body doesn't make them as much, so that's why we need the medication at times. Mm-hmm. But you know, like I would tell my clients, remember your first kiss, right? Remember that feeling. Or, or or remember remember the first time you had tacos the smell of tacos at a taco stand right you start smiling like see smiles already or you know getting hungry remember when you, when you talk when you think about those things aren't you feeling good already yeah right you feel good and you're like and so that's and so when the moment I take, mention those words right or those 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 memories you start remembering feeling better right and so like that's what your body's creating those chemicals that make you feel happy feel high right and so and the medication is just an extra extra help to help you make you feel that natural high or the natural way you should be feeling right so i think usually it just depends it depends but sometimes people need medication right away uh other i would suggest first the counseling okay well alex i want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here once again uh any final thoughts for our people out there listening yeah i would say you know no tengan miedo no tengan miedo de pedir ayuda en cuestión de salud mental mental health Always ask for help. Definitely, I'll, I'll provide some numbers on the road you guys can share yeah, w- w- with your listeners. There's agencies out there that are, are going to help you. Don't be afraid of the cost. I mean, I can tell you on average, you know, and out of, out of pocket counseling, it costs you maybe 40 to 60 bucks per hour. That's that's okay. for, that's cheap. That's cheap in cash. If you go to a private practice, it's almost 100 bucks an hour. So I will yeah, tell you, is 60 bucks worth your mental health? Yes, it is. It should be worth it if, if you, know, you don't have insurance. But also like, you know, um, just try it. You know, if if I get a cut, I get a fever, I'm going to go see a doctor, right? Even out of pocket, I'm still mm-hmm. going to see it. And also, you know, again, we forget, I'm going to throw one last plug in, even with mental health. Remember, health is a big thing. Let's take care of ourselves so our bodies, right? If you're feeling a fever, aches, go see a doctor. Because mm-hmm. the moment we don't address those things, then also mental health can be another contributing factor down the road, right? And so, like, mm-hmm. definitely, we need to take care of ourselves. And that's a, it could be a other topic we could talk about down the road. <laughs> No, and, and definitely, I think that that in itself could be something else. And uh, Alex, we're definitely going to have to have you back for a part two. All your insights are greatly appreciated because it's it's coming from an actual therapist, someone who's behind the lines, someone who has seen and pretty much seen and heard everything there is to see and hear and uh, showing us that there is another side to all this. No, th- definitely there is another side. And, and and again, if you need help, start with a friend. And if your friend knows somebody, they'll, they'll point you in the right direction, I assure you. Yeah, and I really liked how you said, you know, you basically said like being it's okay to not be okay. Like yeah. everyone needs help sometimes. Yeah. And, and and definitely I would say just, you know, it's okay not being okay. It's okay not being okay, but admitting that you need help. And Is, then I assure you, if you look for the help, things will get a little better. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for once again, joining us for this episode of we are home Arizona. I'd like to uh, thank everybody involved in this episode, myself and Carlos for being the host. Alex, thank you so much for being a guest. And like I said, you're gonna, you're welcome to come by anytime. Uh, go ahead and uh, plug in your your business, plug in everything that uh, everything is help for our community. And um, also, would like to thank Karina Dominguez for the graphics. 
Dominic Medina for the music, production and editing by Karina and Danny. And of course, shout out to Fuerte Frecuencia Alterna, Cahoots, co-working spaces, everybody to make for making this episode possible. Thank you guys so much and we'll see you next time. This is Arizona and we are home. Muchas gracias. Thank you.